when you are not quote unquote nice, what does that do? What is that? What like how are you perceived and how do people start treating you? And we know, I mean, we know we, we got story after story of people who are saying, if I'm perceived as being angry or not nice, then that goes against me. Let's begin. Blank paper and pen. Stories to tell. Battles to win. Deep breath and count to ten. Let's begin. Let's begin. Let's begin. Let's begin. So welcome to uh, our next segment here of the Sit Up Podcast. This podcast where we are trying to use a public discourse as a way to have conversations around many different subjects. My love of sports, innovation, theology, the ugly, the injustice, and uh, obviously public discourse. So we're continuing today in this conversation around being nice and what does that mean? And I, I put it out on my Facebook and a friend of mine, Francis, who lives in D.C., chimed back. And Francis said this, respectability politics run deep. I think this is the hardest thing to undo in myself. It's drilled into our students, Francis is a teacher, because they work corporate jobs as a part of our educational program. And they are all POC. Anytime a POC complains, even politely, things get distorted almost immediately. Our niceness is a coping or defense mechanism. And her husband, who's white, right? She talks about him. And I am sick to death of having been her Anglo husband say the same exact things in a more confrontational way and get results without ever being seen as angry. I'll be polite and told I'm too emotional uh, or a spitfire, right? She says this is definitely gendered, racialized language. See, I think, I think Francis gets to it, right? Some of these issues. And Francis is a woman of color. And women of color, right, are perceived in general uh, as not nice, now, you know, that's a generalization. I want to be careful, but, you know, and especially uh, outspoken Latino women or black women, like, oh my goodness, like they are the ones who get this, uh, this, this stigma, this perception of not, not being nice all the time. So what is it? What is it about the perception of being nice? And we know I want to I want to throw the other side in here a little bit. Right. We know I know personally. Right. White men who at times are not nice. There is no question they're not nice at the time, whether it's in a board meeting or whether we're sitting around and uh, someone gets upset. We see white men in spaces where they're not nice. But yet they don't get the stigma or the perception or any of those kinds of things that they are now angry uh, and, they'll, and they'll suffer for that. We know that stigma exists. 
So today, I think we're gonna we and I think we're gonna talk to a friend of mine, Mickey Scott Bay Jones. She's gonna come on. Uh, who Mickey lives in Nashville, a woman of color, black woman, uh, and is a speaker, a writer, uh, and uh, is doing a lot of work around and some activism work and doing a lot of work in various areas. Mickey would be one of these women who are perceived as. Uh, not nice because she speaks her mind. So we're gonna we're gonna uh, we're gonna talk to Mickey um, as well as get some other quotes coming up on our show today. So let's get into this uh, a little bit more. I uh, I want to quote another another woman who uh, comes on my Facebook page, and she says, "I struggle with this as a white mom to black kids." I know that niceness, quote unquote, is used as a tool of white supremacy. And I know, for example, that if my black teens speak in a perceived certain tone to someone, usually white, in a position of authority, it can escalate the situation very quickly. Whereas for a white teen doing the same, it probably wouldn't. I struggle with how I teach and model this niceness for my kids. I want them to be able to speak their truth, and yet I also want them to remain safe. I am always trying to learn from POC parents on how they navigate this, right? Uh, I think this is, right, uh, a, a, big, a big question here, right? We have uh, a mom who's raising black kids who is admitting, right, that uh, niceness is a tool of white supremacy. What do you think about that, right? She's, she's, she's saying she knows this is a tool of supremacy, right? And, but, and she wants her black kids to be able to speak their truth, but she knows they will be judged because they are children of color. And if they're, if they're judged as angry or not being nice, they will have repercussions. That's what we're talking about, right? That's what we know uh, as a reality. And we're gonna try to get to the, the bottom of some of this. Now I know there's also some folks out there who think every, anybody who's not nice uh, gets treated differently. And I think in general, that is probably true. But there is a there is a ongoing perception that happens for people of color, for black people, for women of color that goes on beyond the conversation, that goes on beyond that moment that that puts them in a category and they live with that stigma. Why is that? Let's keep talking about it as we continue on the show. This is the Sit Up Podcast, and we're grateful that you're here listening to us. I'm Leroy Barber. We'll be right back. The past can loom like shadows, keeping us afraid of the dark. Old wounds never die as soon as you wish they would. We're all born into struggle. No matter our skin tone, time zone, no matter the balance of the scale or our bank account, it's true. Life can bruise you. It can seem that nothing leaves a mark like wounds do, but the funny thing about wounds is given time to heal, they make the most beautiful tattoos. Some people call them scars, but in the eyes of the right beholder, they can be art. Love doesn't keep secrets. Love chooses to see. Forgiving and accepting that you've been forgiven can set you free. Let's begin. Blank paper and pen. Stories to tell. Battles to win. Deep breath. Counts of ten. Let's begin. Let's begin. Let's begin. Let's begin. 
women are going to be who they are across the board and want to really explore that a little bit. I know my, my wife, like she's, she's the same, right? It doesn't, she don't change her tone based on where you, where she is. And I think, and I want to interview you because you're like that as well. You don't really change who you are, right? And (laughs) And I've seen you in a number of different settings and I just want to kind of tease that out a little bit. Like, we yeah. know people, like, change how nice they are based on the setting. Yeah. But I think women of color, Black women in particular, don't do that as much as the rest of us. So what, what is that driver? Like, why? Like, is that, is that something you came to? Or is that just something sure. that are naturally? Like, oh, yeah, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean... So I think there are a couple of things in play for black women. I think we have some survival techniques that we've learned that we pass down or share with each other that you just learn by being a black woman in Western American culture. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to learn how, I mean, I spend so much time kind of like keeping the anger <laughs> <laughs> like push down. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So that's why when I do get accused of being the angry black woman, I'm like, oh, you're getting like 0.5% of the anger. Uh-huh. Like if you really want me to let this loose, uh-huh. oh, we can go there. Like it makes me so much more angry when someone does accuse me of being angry or be, like having said hurtful things to them a woman in my church who um, we had this disagreement about a, uh, a a women's retreat. Right. And, and the decision had been made not to allow people who used to go to the church because we had kind of had this church split and they were like, well, if you're not going anymore, then you can't. And I was like, Oh, hell no. We're not now. We're not getting to the point now where we like, don't let some of our old girls come to this, you know, like, mm -mm." right. So I, but very like, literally made her get on the phone, had a conversation. So tone of voice was there. Uh So it was just very like, I'm like, y'all go ahead and have the retreat, but I'm not coming if Uh this is what we're doing because I can't abide by that. Mm -hmm. I thought it was super calm, chill conversation. Then I get like, like I find out that she's gone to the pastor and is like, Mickey chewed me out and was so angry. And, and I was like, oh, oh, I, could, I could unleash that if that's what we're doing. Because if uh-huh. you thought that's what was happening, uh-huh. you know, so it's like, even when we really try hard, mm-hmm. we still get accused of that because we're perceived as aggressive, right? Like yeah. black women are perceived as aggressive. And a black woman theologian who uh, wrote Stand Your Ground, Kelly Brown Douglas, she has this whole talk she does on, on basically how, you know, like from the very beginning of kind of white contact, like European contact, how black women have been kind of typed and cataloged, right, as aggressive, as animal-like, as hypersexual. And then also like, kind of like brutish, mannish, 
aggressive, you know? And so I feel like we try to socialize each other. Like I know my grandmother and many people talk about this, right? How you like get a beat down so that you won't get in trouble out in the world. Like I feel like there was a lot of kind of molding of me to, to be appropriate uh-huh. um, so that I could survive in the world. Right. So I think there becomes this like way that you learn to relate mm-hmm. kind of at all times so that you're not, so you can't be accused of being angry or because it's such a strong cultural stereotype hmm. so that black women are like this. So what, so what that brings to mind for me to a, a question I have for you is like, so do you feel pressure because you're, you're, even though you say you're toning it down, people per, still perceive Mickey Scott Bay Jones as aggressive, right? Or angry, those kinds of things. Not that you are, but that's, that's a perception, right? Do you feel pressure yeah. as, as a woman who um, is okay with who you are to be like somebody like Michelle Obama, who is not perceived that way, who is perceived as the nice black woman, right? Like, yeah. I mean, I think there are people that perceive her as aggressive and angry. Mm -hmm. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like as much as she has a very particular controlled persona, Uh I think she still gets labeled that way by a certain subset of people. Uh Like there are still white people who read her as aggressive and angry and attitude Uh and Uh whatever. I mean, especially, let's just be real, on this, like, last tour, like, the Becoming tour, she actually is letting loose a little bit uh-huh. and saying something she did when they were in the White House, which I love. Right. <laughs> I'm like, yes, girl, talk from your heart. Uh-huh. Um, you know, and so it's like, I think it's funny because you're just, it's, it's really about how other people are reading you, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I do rarely let kind of that out, except for maybe with other, like other black folks or people of color, then there are times when I will like be full on, I'll feel all my feelings. And sometimes in mixed company too, but like in some ways it's a survival, it is a survival mechanism. Like we have to be careful Mm -hmm. because any amount of anger that we do show gets read as dangerous. Mm -hmm. And we know that could be a, you know, a life altering event for us, right? Like if we are upset and angry in a store and throw a hissy fit, mm-hmm. like somebody else does, and like rightfully so, maybe you're rightfully angry about something, you could get taken down by a police officer because it's perceived as aggressive or violent. Right, right. right? So we're constantly calculating how to survive mm-hmm. as black people, right? And I don't think we know that often when we're younger, it like doesn't maybe catch up with us until we're older. Mm-hmm. I mean, so I, I think there are people that read me as aggressive and angry at the slightest showing of any emotion, mm-hmm. but that's on them. Mm-hmm. Like I've had to learn that that is on them and that I have a right to my feelings and my emotions mm-hmm. as much as I'm able and willing to show and still feel like I'm, protecting myself in whatever that moment is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And see, that's what I, that, so that's what I admire. And I think people need to know and see, like, I think, I think what women of color and black women in my experience, accept that that's how they're going to be perceived. So they just kind of lose, Hey, this is how I'm perceived. I'm not going to let that be define me. I'm not going to let that control 
where I go and what I do and how I talk and those kind of things. And I think for a lot of other people of color, we kind of, you know, we kind of figure it out, lessen ourselves. I know I, I have done that many times. Mm-hmm. But the people who led me out of that have been specifically black women. And I think it's something like that I, I'm not sure we often acknowledge. Well, I think it's a journey that most of us have to go on because I, I mean, I remember the shift from being like the safe black friend mm-hmm. that, you know, all my white friends were totally cool with. And, and now like, I'm, I'm not that anymore. And I've seen the shift. I mean, for many of us, this has happened in the last, you know, five or six, mm-hmm. seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, it has happened over Facebook. Mm-hmm. You know, it's happened in ways that it maybe didn't happen before. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, this is, this would be a great conversation to have with some elders, right. About like what happened as they were kind of radicalized or awakened in the 50s, 60s, 70s. And like what happened, to relationships they had with white people or even with, um, you know, maybe people of color or black folks that were socialized in a particular way. Because I don't, I mean, the thing is, because of segregation, they may not have necessarily had a, a, like a big white network. So maybe this is particular to our generation, but, you know, I had a lot of white people around me who then when I like started posting articles about Ferguson or about police officers or whatever, were like, <gasps> why? like then would perceive that on Facebook as yelling and as angry uh-huh. and never in my life have I posted anything about, I hate cops, cops need to die, whatever. Mm-hmm. But literally had people messaging me like, why do you hate cops? Mm-hmm. Why are you so angry? Why do you want cops to die? Why do you hate white people? Mm-hmm. And it's like, I like, I've never, I've posted the truth. I've posted facts uh-huh. I've said things. I've, I have been angry when a child is gunned down within two seconds of a police car arriving. I'm, yeah, does that make me angry? Absolutely. And am I going to express it? 100%. Mm-hmm. I also am like shedding tears and, and like screaming through my tears. And, but they can't see that because I'm so, because to, again, I'm reduced to this trope of an angry black woman. And so it's like, that all had to do with their perception and their fears. Mm -hmm. But I went from being the nice black friend to like, now she's dangerous, Mm -hmm. you know? And so this is a particular phenomenon that I think has gone with this wave of, of social justice movement. And I, and I just haven't, it's, I mean, it's just not a conversation I've had with elders about whether that they experience the same thing, but it would be a really good one to have. That's true. Uh, Last, last little piece of this is so are there particular people that you are particularly nicer to at particular times or not, depending on the situation? <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I, I used to have a, a training friend. We did doula trainings together and she said, look, I don't have time to roll it up in sugar and feed it to you. Like, you know, like this kind of, you know, Southern lady thing. But uh-huh. so, of co- I mean, of course, I always also say like, you know, not all white people are my white people. Like some of the, some of them are your white people and you deal with that one. <laughs> like you, you are assigned this particular white person to deal with. Uh, I'm assigned right, other white people right, to deal with. Right. Um, right. So like there are people that I can like handle and don't get on my nerves and uh, people that I know I need to walk away from or else somebody going to get hurt. At least their right, feelings right, hurt. Right, right, right. Um, <laughs> so, you know, again, it's sometimes it's survival, right? Like, whether that's survival, like by protecting your money or survival by, 
like I just need to get out of this situation alive. And sometimes it's, it's like, I don't want to mess with, I don't, I just don't want to be bothered. Right. Uh-huh. But I think we do have our particular people that we have grace for. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course there's a universal grace and love and whatever, and let's be nice to people. But also to me, niceness isn't a lack of truth. So I'm going to tell you uh-huh. what I think is right and true. Uh-huh. And hopefully say it in a way that's not too harsh. I mean, I'm pretty blunt. So sometimes that it does come off <laughs> in a way that people don't like, but uh, I mean, I try to be pretty like even keel. You know? See, that's what I, that's what I admire. And I, and so what I, what I think just to recap, I hear you saying is like, one is perception that you're, you're, you're actually trying not to like show as much anger as you're actually feeling a lot of times. Two, you, 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 you also said, like, you think even with her public perception, you think even somebody like Michelle Obama still gets the stigma of not being nice, which is kind of interesting, right? Um, but then also that you're just going to yeah. tell the truth. You're just going to tell it how it is, and that's, that's just kind of who you are. And I think that's, I think that's a gift. So, um, so thanks, for, thanks yeah. for sharing. Hey, y'all, just want you to know, uh, Mickey Scott Bay Jones is a speaker, a writer, a doula, like uh, yep. doing a contemplative spirituality expert, like uh, leading pilgrimages around the world, um, and is a phenomenal woman of color. Um, and thanks, thank you for being on with us. Uh, hey, y'all, this is Sit Up Podcast with Leroy Barber, and we're talking about the idea of being nice. Let's begin. Blank paper and pen. Stories to tell. Battles to win. Deep breath and count to ten. Let's begin. Let's begin. Let's begin. Let's begin. Blank paper and pen. Stories to tell. Battles to win. Deep breath and count to ten. Let's begin. Let's begin. Let's begin. Let's begin. Listen, and let's be clear. You only get one chance, one opportunity, one request to appear, one moment to consider what you might hold dear, a few seconds to digest what might be coming near, a quick check of which direction you may want to steer. Maybe God is pro-choice. He gave each of us a will, a mind. Well, thanks for listening, folks. This is the Sit Up Podcast. I am Leroy Barber, and we appreciate you listening. Uh, remember to hit us up on Twitter at Leroy Barber, uh, Facebook Leroy Barber, and leave your messages on those things. We will get back to you either on Facebook or uh, give you some quotes and shout outs here on the show. Uh, also, Instagram, same Leroy Barber. Now, uh, we are wrapping up today our series on uh, what we have been talking about around being nice. Uh, thanks to Mickey Scott Bay Jones. Thanks to Andrew Morgan. Uh, we used some quotes from Francis, a friend on Facebook, longtime friend, and some others. We appreciate you chiming in. And we hope that this uh, this podcast has helped you think through what it means to be nice, who is who can be nice, uh, when, and uh, lead to further conversation. Our next show uh, will be uh, on the slave Bible. Uh, we're going to take a look at this idea, this Bible that was put out for slaves in the 1800s. Um, about 90% of the Old Testament was missing and about 50% of the New Testament. 
Check it. Uh, 1,199 chapters in the, in the standard Protestant Bible. There were only 232 chapters in the slave Bible. Oh, we got to talk about this. So hope to hear, hear from you next week as we tease this out and look forward to talking about that. This is Leroy Barber, the Sit Up Podcast. Talk to you soon. Let's begin, let's begin, let's begin, let's begin. Let's begin. Let's begin.